Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I am Elena Fowles, and in today's episode, we will talk about music, specifically Indian music. Our guest, Dr. Michelle Wimblesman, will discuss her discovery and appreciation for la cultura y música andina, which happened as she left Ecuador and moved to the United States. I find that immigrants like myself become more Mexican, Salvadoran, Colombian, or whatever our nationality happens to be when we are away from our home culture <clears throat> than when we live in it. In this process, we discover the magic of our foremothers, the sweet songs of our ancestors, and the sense of the lands we left behind, but that become even more intrinsically connected with who we are now. Let me introduce to you Michelle Wimblesman. She's a professor of Latin American Indigenous Cultures, Ethnographic Studies, and Ethnomusicology at The Ohio State University. She is assistant professor in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese with courtesy faculty appointments in the School of Music and the Department of Anthropology. She specializes in the expressive culture of indigenous peoples of the Indian Highlands. She has conducted field work in Ecuador since 1995. She's the author of Ritual Encounters, Otavalan, Modern and Mythic Community, published in 2009. This book is a critical ethno ethnography that engages topics of Otaban, religion and ritual, music, musical expression, public festivals, history, myth and memory, performance and politics, aesthetics and power, intra and inter-ethnic conflict, ritual violence, and transnational migration. She has articles on related topics in journals such as Latin American Music Review, the Journal of Latin American Anthropology, Cultural Survival Quarterly, and Alternativas. She is also director of the OSU Andean Music Ensemble. This summer, Dr. Wimblesman served as co-director and lead teacher for the Fulbright's Highs Group Project Abroad Program for K-12 teachers, teaching, uh, titled Teaching the Andes, Redefining the Common Good and Reclaiming the Public Square. Dr. Dr. Wimbles, sorry. <laughs> Dr. Wimblesman is a winner of the 2017 Consortium of Latin American Studies Program Teaching Award for Junior Faculty. Tomo esta oportunidad para felicitarte. Muchas gracias, Elena. Uh, okay, let's start. Uh, tell me a little bit about where you're from and your family back background. I know you have a connection with Ohio. Yeah. Um, I was born in Ecuador. Uh, mi madre es ecuatoriana mm -hmm. y mi padre estadounidense. Y resulta que al, al regresar acá a Ohio, eh, a la final estaba regresando a mi lugar de origen. Mi padre, <laughs> el, la familia de mi padre es de Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. Pero ellos se conocieron en, en Ecuador en una época eh, donde estaban haciendo mucha exploración de petróleo en la mm -hmm. zona de la Amazonía. Y mi padre era eh, piloto de helicópteros. Mm -hmm. 
Mi madre trabajaba la radio uh -huh. eh, para coordinar los, los itinerarios de los pilotos y parece que se conocieron más o menos por ahí. <risa> y aquí estamos en un Exacto. radio simulado. <risa> sí, entonces hemos hecho un, un círculo completo, un círculo ¿no? Completo. Eh, de, de nacer en otro lugar, regresar a este país, irme nuevamente y a la final, después de un par de, de trayectorias, llegar nuevamente a Ohio. Okay, muy bien. Um, tell me about your journey of discovering or claiming Indian music and culture as part of you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as I mentioned, I grew up in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. um, and while we were there, of course, we were kids. And we aspired to American culture, rock and roll, you know, all of these things, um, generally rejecting, you know, anything that had to do with traditional music or traditional culture in Ecuador. Um, yeah. And so that was part of it, you know, that we had our gaze towards the outside. Mm -hmm. And I think that it wasn't just us individually, you know. But um, I grew up during a time that there was a policy of mestizaje mm -hmm. in uh, Ecuador. Like it was actually like a political po uh, policy, right? Mm. And very much of an emphasis on that outward gaze. So all of our references were uh, U.S.-based or European, mm -hmm. uh, including our textbooks. So it was very much about mestizaje, which is the blending of indigenous and, and white mm -hmm. you know, cultures, and very focused on the urban area. And so at, in school, we never learned about Amazonian cultures mm. or even rural cultures in the highlands, in mm -hmm. the Andes. Mm -hmm. There was a world apart, you know. Um, we moved to the United States. We moved back and forth a few times, you know, but uh, the, the last time that we moved was uh, right around 1981, And I uh, came into high school in the United States. I did my undergraduate degree and at the University of Texas mm -hmm. in Austin. Mm -hmm. And um, there was an Andean music ensemble there. So mm -hmm. I joined. Uh, and it was very interesting. It was, this was really the point of entry for me into my discipline and back to my country. Mm. Uh, generally in the Andean Music Ensemble, we would talk a little bit about the cultural background of the songs as they presented them. And at one point, there was an Ecuador Ecuadorian song in the repertoire. Hmm. And the uh, director proceeded to talk about all of these different ethnicities and all of these different languages that existed in Ecuador. And it was the very first time that I was hearing this. Hmm. So I listened with a sense of interest and curiosity and also tremendous embarrassment mm -hmm. that I was from there and didn't know my own culture. Mm -hmm. And so it was that mix of curiosity and embarrassment, I think, that, that um, kind of prompted me to go into anthropology and ethnomusicology and ultimately to go back to do research in my own country. Wow. Wow. That's very interesting. Um, how does this repeat return migration that you talk about inform or perhaps enhances your research and teaching um, back when you were an undergraduate st uh, student and, and up until now. Right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So my sense is um, that there's always sort of a pendulum swing um, where the, that process of migration, especially when you return and leave and return and leave, 
creates this effect where you're distancing yourself enough to get a different perspective on your culture, you know, and then coming back into the culture and assessing those impressions, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that that's part of it. Um, I also, so the, the term repeat return migration mm -hmm. uh, is generally applied to Otavalan mm -hmm. uh, culture. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a community of Quechua speakers mm -hmm. who uh, travel transnationally, you know, mm -hmm. but the the way that their migration is characterized is, is that, that they don't leave and want to go forever. Mm -hmm. It's always with the idea of coming back. And so they, they come back and leave, come back and leave, mm -hmm. you know. And among the Otavalan youths that, that travel, um, there is that sense of, at the beginning, getting getting out of there right? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and going to see the world. And then once they're out in the world, developing a renewed appreciation for their culture and uh, coming back con más ganas, ¿no? Mm -hmm. O sea, de, de apoyar la, los festivales, las danzas, la música tradicional. Um, and so we see that, for example, the festivals that are sponsored by people who have had that type of trajectory mm -hmm. try to recover like some of the uh, almost like the the, foot, the footsteps of the dances that were lost mm -hmm. or something about the, the way people dressed or especially about the tradition of um, offering food in abundance and receiving the dancers well and things like mm -hmm. this, no? So they, they certainly come back with a renewed interest. And I, I identify with that and I feel the same thing about my own culture. How are this... Um Repeat returners, for the lack of a better term. ¿Cómo los aceptan en la comunidad? ¿Son bien recibidos o hay un poquito de, like, mistrust? O no sé, ¿cómo son recibidos? No, súper bien. O sea, yo diría que en el caso de los otavaleños, ¿no? En primer lugar, el hecho de viajar fue algo que rompió barreras para, para grupos indígenas. O sea, uh -huh. generalmente esos grupos se los co consideran muy sedentarios, agricultores. Uh -huh. Entonces, la, la imagen de una persona indígena viajando en avión como parte del jet set, ¿no? Uh -huh. <risa> la cultura jet set era algo muy, um, muy diferente, ¿no? Uh -huh. dentro, de la, dentro de la cultura nacional ecuatoriana y uh -huh. latinoamericana en general. Um, al inicio, co cuando empezaron a viajar, y, y obviamente hay gente que migró o que viajó de esa manera en los años 50, 60, eh, pero en los 70, 80 hay, hay una masa de gente que viaja bastante, ¿no? Entonces, eh, al inicio, estos jóvenes que, que iban como pioneros, viajeros, ¿no? Puriscuna, <risa> los que caminan el mundo, ¿no? Eh, Regresaban como héroes, ¿no? O sea, era, y después eventualmente se volvió casi como lo que se dice como un rite of passage, ¿no? Mm, Para uh -huh. la juventud otavaleña. Mm. Ahora cuando regreso a los años, ¿no? A entrevistar nuevamente a estos jóvenes que yo conocí hace décadas, ahora tienen una perspectiva un poco más um, seria, ¿no? Uh -huh. Sobre lo que les pasó. Que no todo era hermoso y uh -huh, uh -huh. <risa> agradable, sino que, que sufrieron mucho y pasaron algunas cosas que, que fueron retos grandes para ellos, ¿no? Um, entonces, son, son bien recibidos, obviamente, ¿no? 
otra cosa que pasa dentro de la cultura otavaleña y creo que de pronto en otras culturas también, pero eh, donde hay mucha actividad colectiva, ¿no? Uh -huh. Es que pese a que la persona no está ahí físicamente, <ríe> su presencia social Supuesto se mantiene, ¿no? <ríe> y por buenas y por malas, porque uh -huh. hay, que, hay que estar atento a eso, que de pronto si se genera algún chisme o alguna cosa así, uno no está ahí para defenderse, uh -huh. pero igual puede ser afectado por ese tipo de, de discurso, ¿no? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Entonces hay de todo. Eh, algunos de los muchachos que, que de, definitivamente se han vuelto americanizados uh -huh, o, o uh -huh. que han regresado con aspectos de, de otras culturas, eh, algunos de ellos han generado, eh, como se dice, como ondas culturales, ¿no? Uh -huh. Entonces de vestimenta, de fashion, ¿no? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Que se han cambiado los peinados, cosas así. Entonces eh, por ese lado ha sido algo positivo para los jóvenes. Uh, por el otro lado, han recibido críticas a veces de, de la gente mayor, ¿no? Por lo general. Um, pero yo diría que la cultura otavaleña celebra la diversidad, ¿no? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Entonces, no hay crítica de que alguien no mantenga la cultura estrictamente, uh -huh. sino que dentro de la idea de, de la evolu evolución de una cultura... Uh -huh. Siempre hay esa, esa tendencia a pensar en el cambio, ¿no? A uh -huh. pensar en la innovación, la creatividad del individuo. Uh -huh. Entonces, hay, hay un entendimiento de ese margen dentro de la cultura para autogenerarse, ¿no? ¿Puedes uh -huh. okay. decirnos, uh, you right now um, have a music ensemble um, class, right? <laughs> But before we talk about that, can you tell us about the unique sounds of Indian music? Many times our um, understanding or our um, uh, first encounter with Indian music is very traditional, very uh, wind instruments primarily. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember seeing maybe at different festivals um, musicians that um, sort of have this type of uh, song, right, melody. Mm -hmm. um, But um, from our experience, or from my experience, this past Friday, um, Indian music is much more than that, right? And and there is um, actually lyrics and songs that are composed around uh, people's experiences or that tell the history of our community. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if you can speak to that. Uh, maybe the sounds, uh, maybe traditional sounds, with uh, paired. Uh, with storytelling? Mm -hmm. Well, you've, you've touched on my passion right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, right now I'm delving into, um, uh, I guess, a book-length project on uh, musical poesies and diversity mm -hmm. uh, among the Otavalan uh, worldwide diaspora. And a lot of it has to do with sort of appreciating this music way beyond the connotations of uh, Western mm -hmm. appreciation for music, mm -hmm. No. So, for instance, um, uh, how, can, how can I start this? Let me think. There is a suggestion that I'm sort of delving into that music itself, not the lyrics, but the, in the music ex itself. The melody? The melody itself mm -hmm. uh, documents certain events, mm. that it functions as a coded language. Mm -hmm. no? uh, the fact that we have the guardians of the spoken word no indicates that there's something that they are guarding right mm -hmm. as as very uh deep knowledge mm -hmm. no 
Um, so in that sense, I think that music is amazingly linked to storytelling, but not in the traditional way that we think about, like, for example, the corrido tradition, you mm -hmm. know, where it's really mm -hmm. embedded in the, in the lyrics that mm -hmm. tell the local histories and the local stories. Mm -hmm. And very, very important as alternative histories in a context where many of these local histories and indigenous histories have been completely marginalized mm -hmm. and left out of what we call... Um, You know, the dominant narrative, mm -hmm. uh, which is the archival power, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like what counts as knowledge, mm -hmm. what counts exactly. as history, right? So I think that music absolutely fills that role. And it fills it in ways that are m much more profound than just looking at the lyrics. Like in this case, it can be also in the music itself, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is absolutely fascinating. And we wonder, how is that possible when the melodies are repetitive? Mm -hmm. You know, so when we, when we think, there are many different types of Andean music, but when we think about ritual music, for an untrained ear, what you hear is a very repetitive, you know, sort of again and again, the same thing over the course of hours in a festival, right? Mm -hmm. But that is to somebody who is not trained, you yeah. know. For somebody who is not trained or, or within the uh, Western tradition, you would you would think of a pentatonic scale played badly, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, some things will sound off key or mm -hmm. not quite the right harmony mm -hmm. or something that in the Western ear, como que choca, no? O sea, right. que no, no se escucha bien, no? But the truth is that um, when you ask about like the sounds of the Andean music, Um, one of the keys are the microtones, no? And so it does not operate off of a Western neat scale, mm -hmm. you know, like where you have the five, the five tones, or mm -hmm. maybe you have like half tones, the sharps and the flats. In between those sharps and the flats, there are all other types of sounds mm. that are also part of the, the texture, the rich texture of the sound, no? So that's one aspect of it. And in, in the ensemble, when we get to talk to the, about that point, we're always talking about stretching our ears, mm -hmm, no? Because, mm -hmm. because it sounds a little bit weird sometimes, no? <laughs> um, so, I, yeah. I, um, during the presentation on uh, Friday uh, at the uh, Dublin's Art Center, and we had um, the music, uh, the Korean music presentation and then Peruvian music um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that stood out to me that I also thought, oh, I, it would have been great to also hear hear the same thing uh, when we were um, listening to Korean music, and is that um, one of the 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 members from the Peruvian um, group said, mm -hmm. um, "This is not." You know, this is this is going to sound different to your Western ears, and to our. And she said that a couple times, and that um, I appreciated that, right? Mm -hmm. Especially she said this, especially when um, they played the piece that was 12 minutes long, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and that were like, oh, 12 minutes, right? A song that lasts 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's 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 good to even frame it in that way because it allows the listener to prepare. Uh, for a different experience, right? exactly uh, one that might not have um, sort of the the melody structures that we're used to. Um, so I mm -hmm. I really appreciate her saying that, mm -hmm. so that we could maybe even if just a little bit let go of our own 
um, perspective. Yeah, a little our bit. box, right? Our box, yes. Three point five minutes mm-hmm. or whatever is supposed mm-hmm. to last. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. And I think that issues of time are very important. Yeah. Um, so it changes the way that you experience music, right? So in a in a short time span, if you are just um, enjoying listening to a piece or interested in listening to a piece, then you get that, you know, from a short mm-hmm. a short song, you know. But an immersive experience requires time, mm-hmm. you know, and until you kind of get the hang of it, you work, your brain works through mm-hmm. some strange sounds that you might be hearing or whatever, and eventually settles into enjoying the music and listening and appreciating the music. Mm-hmm. It requires that time to sort of get people on the same wavelength, mm-hmm. you know, to, uh, to use that metaphor. Um, yeah, so absolutely. And the other thing is uh, what you were mentioning about sources of inspiration and storytelling that, um, uh, by the way, so this, this group is, is Kuyaiki. Uh, it's a, it's a group that is based in Miami, mm-hmm. uh, but they are from Jauja, Peru. Mm-hmm. And the father and the mother established the group many years ago. And now there's an entire, what we call an Ayu, right? Like a whole mm-hmm. community that they brought up. And we were so honored to have them here mm-hmm. in Columbus. Um, but yeah, so um, they made a, a reference to the fact that their songs were inspired by real people. You know, um, in one case, it was a story about a woman who uh, experienced domestic violence. Mm-hmm. You know, in another case, it was about the the horrors of the Shining Path. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was difficult to think of those themes mm-hmm. because the music is so sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that it's hard to reconcile those. But I would say that that. Uh, basically, it it makes an argument that music is always connected to something very personal, um, or very, very present in people's lives. You know that it cannot be that you're singing about something that you are unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. No? Mm-hmm. Where does this? We were uh, discussing earlier before we started recording this idea of participatory. Uh, music, uh-huh, right? Yeah. Can you tell me uh, where does this fit into um, what we're discussing? Yeah. Right now? Mm-hmm. So, well, so when we talk about a group like Kuyaiki, um, they are a performance group. They, they have a beautiful stage presence. Mm-hmm. No? Um, but traditionally, uh, Andean music is participatory music. Um, so it's played in the communities. Everybody joins in. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that, um, and I tell my students, in the Andes, everyone is musical. It, it's not that music is left to the experts or the mm-hmm. ones who have studied it or anything like that. Yeah. Anyone can jump in. And in addition to that, there's this concept of music that goes beyond the making the sound, right? Mm-hmm. So people dancing are also making music, people serving the food, the children running around. It's all part of the musical event or the mm-hmm. musical experience. You know? So I love that, that aspect of it that is a much more embodied and full, fuller approach to, to music making. You know? But um, the way that we use participatory music making and, and the way that Andean people use it also is that everyone participates, even if you're not very good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's still a space for you, you know. Um, in the ensemble, we talk about um, uh, emphasizing a principle of participation over perfection. Mm-hmm. You know? So we're not worried about hitting every single note. 
Uh, for us, it's much more important that people are playing what they can and enjoying it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and uh, Tom Torino is, is an ethnomusicologist that we often refer to who has done work in, in the Andes and also in Zimbabwe. And he talks about how um, uh, collective music making is not a symbol of community. It is community building. In the, it's in the making, right? Mm. It, it's mm -hmm. the actual process of, you know. And I would say that, um, yeah, that that's what we do, you know, that in the end, the repertoire is almost like a means to an end. The end is community building. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great, great. Um, so tell me now to bring it back to OSU specifically. Tell me about <laughs> this Andean ensemble or music ensemble uh, class that you lead. Um, what instruments do students use? And what's the feedback that you've received about the class from students and colleagues? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we started the, the OSU Andean Music Ensemble in autumn of 2014. And it was a collaboration between uh, the Department of Spanish and Portuguese, uh, the School of Music, and the Center for Latin American Studies. Mm -hmm. The idea behind it for Spanish and Portuguese was curso de enganche, what we call curso de enganche. <laughs> you know, like how do you hook students into an interest in the area? Mm -hmm. so, so music as an entry point into culture or language, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And that possibly they would take the, the ensemble class and then be motivated to sign up for a Spanish class or, or another culture class mm -hmm. in our department. Um, from the perspective of the Center for Latin American Studies, it's part of what we're calling an integrated learning environment for the study of Andean and Amazonian languages and cultures. Mm. So long, <laughs> there's no acronym <laughs> for that. Um, with an emphasis on one applied Uh, or experience-based uh, teaching methods, right? Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about how lesser-taught languages um, require a different methodology, mm -hmm. one that is, um, I guess, uh, reflective of oral traditions, mm -hmm. of participatory traditions, mm -hmm. of embodied, you know, sort of dynamics, you mm -hmm. know, where the language is not isolated from the rest of activity, but absolutely enmeshed with it, mm -hmm. no? And so uh, that's sort of the way that we're using it, you know, as an activities-based language learning course, culture learning, um, by way of making the music. Um, hopefully, I guess the idea is that students would gain uh, more of an affective or empathetic understanding of the culture. Mm -hmm. um, In many cases, the students sing in Quechua and Aymara in Spanish, and they may not know. Mm. Oh, clearly, they don't know Aymara yeah. and Quechua, but they may not know Spanish, you know. And so we rehearse emulating, you know, the language, embodying the language. So, for example, if we have a hymn, you know, mm -hmm. like Cuyaquita. Cuyaquita is about the coming of the great day in Aymara, you know, where the ancestors are going to join the living mm -hmm. in, in celebration. And it's a hymn. And so the students are encouraged to sing it loud. But so they don't know what they're saying. <laughs> they don't speak the language. Sometimes we have experts come in and help us correct pronunciation. Mm -hmm. But they're encouraged to sing it like a hymn, mm -hmm. you know. And so the idea is that by way of doing that, you gain some understanding that is... Uh, prior to language or beyond mm. language, you know, understanding. 
to what the culture is about, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when is this class going to be offered again? Well, we offer it every semester. Oh, every semester. Yeah, okay. and it's um, it's generally, it's pretty much consistently on Thursday mornings from 1020 to 1225. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, that sometimes you, what is it? It's, it's a version of um, mob, um, what do you call it? Um, I forget what that uh, the fad that's going on, like where you mob uh, singing or where you just go. Uh, oh, the flash <laughs> mob. Yes, yes, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so when tell I'm, me about that because I know that you've uh, gone to different places around um, campus and just you know started playing and singing. You see. Uh, so tell me about why why do that and what's the story behind that? Yeah. So aquí los americanos le dicen flash mob. Flash mob. No, pero. <laughs> Eh, lo que nosotros estamos haciendo es una toma, ¿no? Uh-huh. Tenemos una tradición de la toma de la plaza, ¿no? Uh-huh. Entonces, en, ciert, en ciertas fiestas andinas, eh, las comunidades indígenas bajan tocando uh-huh. su música. Eh, cada comunidad tiene un tono diferente, ¿no? Uh-huh. O sea, una melodía diferente. Bajan al centro de la plaza y participan como que hay una competencia musical, uh-huh. ¿no? En el centro de la plaza, ¿no? Y pues el grupo... Mmm, Iba a decir el mejor grupo, ¿no? El que, to- el que toca mejor, pero generalmente es el grupo más numeroso y el que toca uh-huh. con más fuerza uh-huh. y que baila con más fuerza el que se gana la plaza, ¿no? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Entonces nosotros cada semestre hacemos una toma <risa> del, del oval. <risa> We take the oval, uh-huh. you know. Um, y es una manera de, de entrar en una conciencia de, un, de una tradición milenaria, uh-huh. eh, pero... Eh, también de traer esa tradición directamente a Ohio, claro. o sea, como parte de nuestra tradición uh-huh. aquí en el campus. Cuando se me olvida planificar esto, los estudiantes reclaman ¿no? que por qué lo hemos hecho la, el semestre pasado y no este semestre, ¿no? Um, pero aparte de eso, o sea, en términos más, eh, como diría, más enfocados en lo que es Ohio State, uh-huh. También es un acto de reclamar espacios públicos para las humanidades, ¿no? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Entonces, claro. eh, hemos entrado al Student Union, mm-hmm, ¿no? Sí. Así como Flash Mob mismo. <risa> eh, tocamos afuera. Uh-huh. Eh, eh, en, eh, tocamos en los en los garajes, ¿no? Uh-huh. En los de, oh, ¿lo has hecho los parqueaderos. La... Sí. sí, tiene una acústica fantástica oh, los garajes. ¿no? Entonces hemos experimentado con sonido, pero también con la toma de varios varios uh-huh. lugares eh, para celebrar eh, esa expresión en el campus, ¿no? Uh-huh. Y también hacer presencia de lo que de lo que es los los estudios de las humanidades y de, de las artes en este y campus la, y la diversidad porque también me supongo que cuando cantan cantan en, en diferentes lenguas, ¿no? Sí, exacto, uh-huh. sí. Uh-huh. Que no es inglés. Uh-huh. Sí. No, siempre hay gente que nos filma, saca el teléfono, uh-huh. o sea, hay gente que, que tiene mucha curiosidad cuando nos escucha, ¿no? Claro. Eh, tocando. Y, y de acuerdo, sí, absolutamente. O sea, tenemos bastante apoyo de, de la oficina de, de inclusividad y diversidad, uh-huh. Office of, of Diversity and Inclusion, uh-huh. que incluso ha sido muy difícil encontrar un espacio para, eh, para dar la clase. Porque mm. obviamente tiene que ser una, un aula que permita ruido. <ríe> bastante ruido right? sin mm-hmm. interrumpir las otras clases. Mm-hmm. Y Office of Diversity and Inclusion nos ha acogido mm. en Hale Hall mm-hmm. y nos ha brindado un espacio donde podemos eh, hacer este, esta clase y hacer esta música. Ok, qué bien, qué bien. Mm-hmm. <ríe> 
Bueno, ah, pues muy bien, gracias por toda esta información acerca de, de ti, de, um, de tu pasión por la música, tu investigación y cómo todo, eh, como tú dij, como dijimos al principio, ¿verdad? Es un círculo completo, ¿no? De, sí. de, de, de tu origen de alguna, de alguna forma, esta, es Ohio también y ahora estás acá y estás trayendo a la cultura andina a Ohio State. ¿no? Sí, abriendo un espacio para un pedacito de los Andes aquí. <laughs> Gracias. Uh, well, listeners of Ohio Habla, whether you are an OSU student or a member of the community who would like to learn more about Andean music, please check out Dr. Wimblesman's Andean um, Music Ensemble class and it's Thursdays, mm -hmm. Thursday morning every semester. Uh, and I know it's on my list of future courses to take. I know I've been telling you that I'm gonna <laughs> that I'm gonna take that, and I'm glad that there's no um, instrument knowledge requirement. <laughs> no, no instrument, no no language. There's no prerequisites. Exactly. At so all. I, I I'm I'm hopeful for that. Uh, gracias, Michelle, por charlar conmigo hoy and helping us learn more about you, la cultura andina, and the importance of lesser taught languages and cultures at our university. Share this podcast with your friends and family and let us know what topics you want to hear. Hasta la próxima. Gracias.